today on Ag News Daily. We began developing in time through on-farm research at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And what we found in those on-farm research trials is that we were able to improve nitrogen use efficiency by 25%. Well, listeners, welcome back. February 21st, Tuesday edition. We missed you yesterday. Of course, markets are closed. But we're here to get caught back up. Delaney and Tanner ready to knock out some headlines. Right, Delaney? Absolutely. Tanner, did you have a good, I guess, holiday weekend? You know, it didn't feel like that. Our bank is uh, open most holidays and employees are rewarded with floating holidays that we can use when the weather's a lot nicer. So it was uh, it was a pretty productive first day back in the office after National Farm Machinery Show because a lot of other businesses are closed on President's Day. That's true. And, and I forgot that you were off last week for National Farm Machinery Show. So it feels like forever ago. Yeah, and the show went so fast. Unfortunately, there's only going to be a couple of audio files here to share with the listeners. But uh, for those of you that missed it, uh, quite a bit of machinery and lots of new paint. And the way I was describing it to my father-in-law was I felt like there's two directions. There's either precision, which could be smaller and more accurate. And then there's the expansive side of things, whether it's, you know, 140 foot booms on sprayers or large tillage equipment. It seemed like that was the two extremes down there is how can we do things autonomously, smart and in smaller increments around the clock? Or how can we cover a lot wider paths with manned machines? So quite a quite a vast array of technology there. Well, I bet that was really exciting to see, Tanner, and probably exciting for those farmers that went to see what's coming down the pipeline for them this year. Yeah, I saw that the attendance was up 23% for this year. So a lot of people took advantage (laughs) of that show to come and see. Man, thankfully, the weather was pretty good. We only had rain one day. However, the weather looking this week looks like we may get some more winter storm warnings. There are winter storm warnings in effect issued from the West Coast across the northern United States. Eastern South Dakota and Western Minnesota have weather advisories in place until tomorrow at noon. And then a blizzard warning takes over, according to the National Weather Service. 10 to 15 inches of snow are in the forecast for that region, along with an unfortunate glaze of ice. Winds will gust up to 50 miles per hour. That does not sound like good news. Delaney Southern Plains will see high winds and red flag warnings issued as that weather moves back into the area. A combination of all these factors could create favorable weather conditions for severe storms, Delaney. Well, Tanner, switching tracks away from weather, we've gotten an interesting update here yesterday, actually that President Biden has made a surprise visit to Ukraine of all places, Tanner. And it's a surprise visit because it was not planned in his official schedule. And they waited until very last minute to tell President Putin uh, that they were going to Ukraine. But apparently he had a planned visit in the schedule to visit Warsaw, Poland. And there were large gaps in his schedule. A lot of media started speculating and asking, hey, are you going to Ukraine? And they completely denied it. The White House officials denied it until we got official word yesterday that he was, in fact, also slipping over to Ukraine to meet President Zelensky. And um They're kind of playing it off as, oh, it was a last minute decision. But by all accounts, it sounds, Tanner, like it was very much a planned decision. 
Well, out of that meeting between President Biden and President Putin, uh, the U.S. very actively came forward and said, we stand with Ukraine. Uh, President Biden issued some remarks following that visit with Zelensky, and that did not go over well with uh, President Putin, as to be expected. We're also seeing some fire be added to the fuel here or fuel added to the fire, I should say, in the U.S.-China relationships as Wang Yi, which is China's foreign affairs leader, will visit with Russia this week, which comes, of course, on the heels of President Biden's visit to Ukraine. This also coincides, Tanner, with a 4,000 word article published by China's Xinhua News Agency, the official mouthpiece of the China Communist Party, which on Monday released an article article titled U.S. Hegemony and Its Perils and provided a significant amount of slander against U.S. behaviors on the world stage in political, military, economic, technology and cultural sectors. So shots have certainly been fired here, Tanner. Yeah, they have. It was quite interesting to see the evolution of this story. It seems like his motorcade, Biden's motorcade left at three o'clock in the morning. They did not take Air Force One. They took a secondary uh, president plane to get over there. Of course, he announced again the additional millions of dollars. The State Department confirmed 450 million pledge to Ukraine, but that also then triggered Japanese prime minister's commitment of $5.5 billion in assistance because they want to make sure Ukraine does not become tomorrow's Eastern Asia. So yeah, a lot of things moving around on that side of things. Of course, quick update on Turkey. We'd reported on the earthquake over there. They were rocked by a 6.3 or 6.4 magnitude quake just two weeks after the first tremors killed more than 41,000 people. This rocked their area uh, again, injuring another 213 people more, three more killed early on in the initial figures here. This uh, created issues as some of the stable buildings in the area were now uh, deemed unstable to live in. This was felt in Syria, Jordan, Israel, and Egypt, which is not good for those residents as they are just trying to get back on their feet after that. Delaney, a little bit of additional news, which I'm sure we're going to talk about as we get to the market side of things. Uh, early frost is threatening Argentine crops. I'll just tease that headline as we will probably discuss that more here towards the end of this conversation. Yeah, it certainly is. Tanner. I'm glad you mentioned that headline there as well. It's also important to realize we are on the cusp here of the one year anniversary of the Russian Ukraine war and could be interesting to see if anything last minute here happens. I mean, I think President Biden very actively took the meeting with Zelensky as a very clear sign of where the U.S. stands. And I don't think it was a coincidence, the timeline, Tanner, in which they took this meeting with Zelensky, but could be an interesting week ahead of us here as we see some shots fired back and forth, potentially either physically with um, continued war strike or just behind the scenes as we see more reports and more slander being spread back and forth. But Tanner, there is another country that is dealing with some political instability, and that's the country of Nigeria. They are on the cusp here of a an election that I believe is happening later this week, if not next week. And in, in light of this election, there has been a lot of 
past elections in Nigeria that have been largely won on bribes. And so the Nigerian government, Supreme Court more specifically, last Wednesday issued a landmark ruling that has now changed altogether the Nigerian currency. They've de- deployed a new printed form of the Naira, which is Nigeria's currency. And Friday was the deadline for old notes to be exchanged. The reason this is so tumultuous for the Nigerian people is there are not a lot of banks that are in some parts of rural Nigeria. And so a lot of farmers, a lot of rural people do business in cash, Tanner. But this old currency is no longer in circulation as of Friday. You can't use it. It doesn't have a value. But um, as people were trying to convert their currency to the new Naira, there just simply weren't enough dollars in circulation and weren't enough banks to help provide that. So they're in complete economic instability right now. A lot of riots are happening. Um, People are obviously very upset by this, not having a form of currency that is working, but hoping that the election is favorable for a candidate who would hopefully squash any sort of bribery um, attempts and also will hopefully help get this currency thing sorted out there, Tanner. But I know Nigeria is not a huge agricultural producer, but it's certainly a player in the world market. Yeah, definitely in the world market. But even if we come back within our own borders, we still have those that are strongly opposing the Federal Reserve's decisions. Despite their best efforts, high inflation is sticking around and is putting the U.S. economy on a collision course, according to former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. Larry was a Harvard University professor who then served both in the Clinton and Obama administrations, said that During his interview with Bloomberg News, there's strong evidence that there are underlying inflationary pressures in this economy that leads us on a collision course for danger, was his exact words. At the last policy meeting, obviously, we reported that the Fed has stated they signaled a couple more increases this year, but despite their aggressive interest rate hikes, we are still seeing a consumer price index that rose half a percent in January and inflation that was on the upside of 6.4%. According to Summers, this is like hitting the brakes very, very hard. And then when you hit your brakes extremely hard, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to fail and you will still crash into something else or you will spin out of control. Those is exact terminology here. So not good news there for the future of the U.S. economy coming from an advisor in past presidential campaigns. But Delaney, New Mexico, to switch subjects here, has authorized the culling of feral cows by helicopter shooters. They have authorized uh, those in licensed positions to kill dozens of feral cattle in their Gila wilderness. The U.S. Forest Service is the ones granting this ability. They will target around 150 stray urbanized, or unbranded, I'm sorry, 150 unbranded cows that environmentalists say are destroying the ecosystems and endangered species along the Gila's soaring mountains, as well as attacking hikers. These feral cattle have been aggressive towards wilderness visitors. They graze year-round, trample stream banks, and ruin water sources for other animals. Shooting feral hogs has been common from the air. 
but this is drawing a lot more scrutiny. These cattle, Delaney, are tied back to a rancher that abandoned his livestock in the 1970s on the Redstone allotment, and they have continued to reproduce and graze in Rome since then. There was a lawsuit last year when they issued this same warning coming from the Cattlemen's Association that uh, resulted in an out-of-court settlement. And they are again threatening that if the Forest Administration moves forward, the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association will continue to round up their advocates and will push for another suing and will threaten further legal action if they don't stop this one. So interesting coming out of New Mexico, the hunting of feral cattle. Interesting. We talked this weekend, we were in um, Tucson and we talked about the hunting of the javelina, which is a feral, it looks like a pig, but it's basically in the hippopotamus family. Oh, really? Yeah. But it just made me think of that a little bit. Tanner, I think the last piece of news I have for today comes to us from the EPA. They have recently announced new regulations regarding over-the-top dicamba application in Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, and South Dakota. The new ruling or regulations will apply to Extendamax, Ingenia, and Tavium herbicides. In addition to the existing grower and applicator requirements, here's the changes that are coming down the pipeline. Those three dicamba products cannot be applied after June 12th or the V4 soybean stage, whichever comes first. Mandatory pre-season training for those three products will be required. Growers and applicators have to reference the online label within seven days prior to the application to see if there have been any state or federal updates. Not sure how they're going to track that one. And lastly, the Illinois Department of Agriculture has three additional regulations regarding dicamba, specifically for growers or sprayers happening in the state of Illinois. Tanner, so they said the timing couldn't be worse for soybean growers who are plant these varieties because we're just 45 to 50 days out from starting to plant soybeans and most or all seed and herbicide decisions have already been made been made and now we have to add this newest decision into the mix yeah interesting uh again something we're gonna have to keep posted on but yes we heard friday night the threat of frost and that threat did come true in argentina delaney and a lot of correspondence over the weekend thinking about how it was going to affect market openings. How did crops open up today? Well, Tanner, as you mentioned earlier, I wanted to hit on it here for just one more second, and that is the frost going on in Argentina, which is a summer frost, which is also kind of odd if you consider it. But this is the sixth consecutive year of Argentinian drought and the worst drought I think I forgot to mention this on the podcast after I got back from Argentina, but they said the worst drought in like 140 years, Tanner. So it's definitely not a pretty situation for Argentinian farmers. And now this latest round of frost was cold and dry polar winds that caused remarkable drops in temperature in some of the areas and had a lot of localized frost, Tanner. That certainly did 
uh, play into the commodity markets in the soybeans here today as we open up from the holiday weekend. March soybeans up 14 cents here at the mid-morning at 15.41. New crop soybeans up about 10 cents on the day at 13.97. Corn was unchanged by the news of the Argentinian frost there, mostly due to the fact that it was happening largely on soybean acres. March corn today is unchanged at 6.77.5. These new crop corn is down about a penny here at the midday at 5.94 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the wheat pits today. And Tanner, as we look at hard red winter wheat for today, it is flirting with neutral right at that 9.06 mark. As we trade over here into the livestock markets, we're seeing some mostly strength across the board here, aside from the April live cattle contract, which is down about 17 and a half cents at a buck 64.50. March feeders down 32 and a half cents in the front month at a buck 86.20. But as we look at the deferred contracts, we're seeing strength across the board and big strength today in the lean hog markets as the April contract is trading up about $3.70 at 88.92 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to today's Tech Tuesday conversation. And listeners, another great conversation for a topic that we don't get to discuss very often on the podcast. So excited to have Jackson Stencil here, CEO and founder of Sentinel Fertigation with us to learn more about what they have going on. Welcome to the show, Jackson. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and then roll into how you started Sentinel. Absolutely. So as you already mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Sentinel Fertigation. Sentinel Fertigation is an ag tech company based in Lincoln, Nebraska. And what we're doing is we're leveraging satellite imagery and geospatial data to empower precision nitrogen management, especially for farmers who fertigate. The genesis behind Sentinel was really my master's project in agricultural engineering at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln where we were looking at how to use multispectral imagery uh, that's assessing crop canopy reflectance uh, that was captured via UAV imagery at that point in time to determine when we should apply nitrogen to a corn crop via the irrigation system. Therefore, fertilizer via irrigation, which equals fertigation, uh, which is in our name. Gotcha. And that is amazing that you are able to make it into this big of a company just through your grad project that you were creating. So what are the products that you are able to offer through Sentinel Fertigation and what all do they offer? Really good question. So our core product is Intime. Intime is a software platform that basically facilitates our satellite image-based nitrogen application scheduling tool, uh, which I would say is, is the core value uh, to users because what it allows them to do is to optimize the number and timing of nitrogen applications that are made over the course of the growing season to basically find that optimal nitrogen application point that uh, gets you to the maximum efficiency for the crop. Uh, in addition to that, we have some other tools that are available in the platform, uh, including application logging tools uh, that we are beginning to integrate with other industry standard solutions uh, on the market for machine data and irrigation data, uh, as well as fertigation prescription tools uh, that are really useful for folks who are wanting to make precise fertigation applications. So is this a software platform that 
is only for center pivot type irrigation or can it be applied through all types of irrigation styles? It really can extend to all types of irrigation. Uh, and, and ultimately, I would say the technology is not necessarily even confined to irrigation per se. The biggest thing for us is, is we are scheduling nitrogen applications. And so if a farmer has the ability to make nitrogen applications throughout the course of the growing season, whether that would be with a high clearance applicator, uh, with a drip irrigation system, or with a center pivot, uh, the technology really applies. Um, and I would say one of the one of the coolest things about the technology is because we focus on timing, we really don't rely on a lot of variability in a field to demonstrate ROI with the platform. Uh, we're able to actually, you know, work with uh, essentially a constant rate injection pump where farmers are making a uniform application to the entire field and still see efficiency improvement uh, with more optimal timing on those applications. Gotcha. And I'm looking through your website here, and I'm kind of interested in hearing some analysis on the fields after compared to before after they have used this product. What does that kind of look like? Yeah, really good question. We began developing in time through on-farm research at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And what we found in those on-farm research trials is that we were able to improve nitrogen use efficiency by 25% and save 43 pounds of nitrogen to the acre versus what farmers were already doing on their farms. In 2022, when we want, when we launched Endtime commercially for the first time, we saw very similar results. In 2022, across the 42 fields that we've been able to analyze, we found that we were able to improve nitrogen use efficiency by 23% versus what farmers were doing on those farms and save 42 pounds of nitrogen to the acre, which in 2022 with the high fertilizer prices that we had translated to about $40 per acre in savings. Uh, and, and really it was still a compelling savings if you look at the 10 year average fertilizer price of about 63 cents per pound of nitrogen fertilizer, you're still in that 25, 25 to $26 per acre ballpark on savings uh, with that efficiency improvement. So I want to dive more back into where your passion started from. Were you a farm kid that ended up going to college with a desire to to help boost, you know, ROI for farmers? Were you an entrepreneur? What, what was the base behind the drive to create this company? I was I was not a farm kid. I'm actually originally from Southeast Alabama, a town called Dothan, self-proclaimed peanut capital of the world. So I was exposed to agriculture, I guess, you know, growing up there. Uh, I, I actually went to Harvard for my undergrad, not an ag school at all. Uh, played football there. Uh, but really, you know, through the kind of the interest I developed as a high school student and, and some of the interest in science and math, um, I was exploring biofuels originally. Uh, I quickly figured out that was not not right for me and, and was exposed to production agriculture through an internship as an undergrad. And, and really just fell in love with it, fell in love with precision ag uh, and, and decided to come out to the University of Nebraska to pursue a master's in agricultural engineering to really enhance my skill set and get some experience uh, doing on-farm research and working on a, a very practical project. And I've learned a ton from the farmers that we worked with uh, through on-farm research uh, and have, have really, you know, I, I think just grown to enjoy the agriculture industry as a whole um, since my, my time there. And uh, I think I've learned a lot, uh, and, and now I'm just really passionate about helping farmers to uh, ensure profitability, uh, but also sustainability, right, for their operations, for the environment, uh, because I, I really don't think that, you know, 
these solutions for profitability and, and sustainability are mutually exclusive. I think there are a lot of win-wins out there and, and that's what we're really trying to seek to create at Sentinel. And I think it is just so interesting that you got more interested into the agriculture industry a little later in life compared to probably myself or some farm kids also majoring in agriculture at college. So what would you say is the most shocking thing that you've learned since you have gotten involved within it, whether it be related to sustainability or agriculture in general? Man, I, I think the the complexity uh, of farming operations was probably one of the most surprising things to me, not coming from an agricultural background. Uh, and I, I'm sure that a lot of people in agriculture would say, well, obviously it's it's very complex, but I think outside of agriculture, it's easy to think that it's a, it's a very simple um, you know, kind of a simple industry and it's not at all. I mean, if you look at, at modern tractors, they, they really look like, um, you, you know, sort of like airline, uh, catch, right. Or like, uh, you know, kind of the cockpit of a plane, uh, in terms of all the instrumentation that you're dealing with in these machines. Um, and it's, it's starting to become one of the most high-tech industries, uh, out there. And I think that's one of the misconceptions about agriculture. And I think one of the biggest surprises for me has just been understanding the complexity, all of the different management issues that farmers have to deal with um, and, and really the opportunities that there are to, to leverage technology to improve farm operations. So now as you look towards the future, what are you most excited about that your company is going to be working on? I think what I'm most excited about is our expansion uh, and basically geographically and through other crops. To this point, we have only operated in corn, uh, which is is really probably the most heavily fertigated grain corn or heavily fertigated row crop out there. Um, but we are looking to move into cotton, into potatoes, sugar beets, wheat, uh, and a lot of different cropping systems, which I don't have experience in right now. Uh, but we're starting to talk to farmers that uh, you know are interested in using the technology in these cropping systems. And I'm, I'm really excited about that opportunity. I'm also excited about the opportunity to take a technology that you know was developed in Nebraska and has shown efficacy in Nebraska and moving it beyond the state's borders uh, into you know Kansas and Colorado and Texas uh, primarily, but also in other, other states uh, within the Corn Belt, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, so on and so forth. Uh, and I think, I think that's a really exciting opportunity for us. Uh, one other thing that I'll mention quickly is just other nutrients. Nitrogen is a major problem, but uh, for farmers, they're also trying to manage sulfur phosphorus, potassium, uh, and, and we're excited about potentially moving into those over the coming years. Absolutely. And I'm sure many of our listeners are very excited to hear about the expansion and this technology in general. So where could they go to learn more about everything that you offer and will hopefully offer in the upcoming future? Our website is the best place to start. That's www.sentinelfertigation.com. There's a there are a lot of resources there. Uh, there's data from 2022, uh, some links to our on-farm research data. So that would be where I would start. Uh, social media is also a great way to stay in touch with us. Uh, we're very active on Twitter, on LinkedIn, uh, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so you know, please find us on on social media as well. Uh, and of course, there are contact buttons on the website. So if you really just want to talk to somebody from Sentinel, uh, you can you can fill out a form, and we will get in touch with you as quickly as possible. Hey, Jackson, this has been uh, really eye-opening. Appreciate you sharing a little bit of your story with our listeners. And thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it, Tanner. Thanks for having me. But I 
I'd say for today, this was a good day back. Delaney, what do you say? Should let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 